vampire that died and isn't a vampire anymore. He's just a ghost. Well, you would still be a vampire, though. No. Why? Because no, it no, doesn't, no. like, it just doesn't transfer. Vampirism doesn't transfer to the afterlife? No. What? I don't think that's true. I think if you're a vampire and then you die and become a ghost, you're a vampire ghost. And then a ghost vampire is when you die and you become a ghost and then you become a vampire as well. How does that happen? By getting bitten. How do you bite a ghost? Magic. (laughs) No, you know who'd bite a ghost is a ghost vampire. A vampire who died and then is a vampire and then bites other ghosts and turns them into ghost vampires. I mean, vampire ghosts. What? (laughs) You might be onto something. If you are a vampire and then you die, you're a ghost vampire. Yes. No, you're a vampire ghost. But if you're a ghost and then you get turned into a vampire, you're a ghost ghost vampire. vampire. Yeah, and they're different. But for all intents and purposes, they are exactly the same. Just how they arrived there is different. You no, because one drinks blood. Why would the other one not drink blood? Because it's a ghost. They're both ghosts. <laughs> they're they're both ghosts. Neither could really be able to drink blood because they're both ghosts. But they would both have the inclination for blood drinking. No, because they're both vampires. One's not a vampire anymore. He's just a ghost. If you're a vampire and you die, you're still a vampire ghost. You're a ghost, sure, but you're still a vampire. I don't think so. So you're a woman. If yeah. you die, are you no longer a woman? I'm a ghost. Of what? Just a ghost. Of a woman. You're, so oh, you think ghosts are just like the sheet ghost. That's yeah. what you're thinking. Yeah, yeah, Then how could that one ever be turned into a vampire if it's just a sheet? Ghosts are like a, a, a physical person's form. Oh, Yeah. You're poking all sorts of holes in my theory. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. <laughs> I know. <laughs> all right, everyone. I hope we kept a bunch of this for our episode. Welcome to a very spooky episode of I Love This, You Should Too. You should say it like this. I love this, you should too. Well, you already said it. Spooky. That was pretty good. You gotta be spooky. It's spooked over. I love this. That's my Dracula. <laughs> nice. I like that. My name is Indy Captain Howdy Randawa, and with me is Samantha Pazuzu He. <laughs> How are you, Indy? I'm pretty spooky. You're pretty spooky? Yeah, I ate a lot of chocolate, so that makes me feel like it's Halloween. Does that make you spookier, though? It's part of it, yeah, I think so. Okay. Well, chocolate makes me many things. It makes me happy, makes me sleepy, makes me spooky. Just whatever I want to feel, it just enhances it. Okay. I think I use chocolate like many use drugs for a good time. I was going to say, that sounds like a drug user. (laughs) Anyways, how are you doing, Sam? I'm good. I'm good. I'm getting into the spooky feel. It's fall. The leaves are falling. That's what they call it, though. My neighborhood exorcist is getting ready to perform some exorcisms. Who's your neighborhood exorcist? Oh, you know, Mr. E. (laughs) Mr. E? (laughs) No, Mr. E. (laughs) Are you writing a bad comic book right now? No. Do you know the Riddler from Batman's name is Edward Nigma? Enigma? That's so dumb. That's super dumb. DC, you're not as clever as you think you are. (laughs) Apparently I'm not either. (laughs) So, Indy, why are we here today? 
to talk movies and chew bubblegum, and I'm all out of gum. Well, thank God, because that does not translate well to audio. (laughs) (laughs) Well, last week we introduced that we would be talking about the movie The Exorcist from 1973. Samantha somehow has seen it and liked it, and it was her first horror movie, which is very off-brand for you. It is. It's amazing. I've seen it a few times myself, and I'm a big fan, so we rewatched it for this very special episode, and we're going to be talking all about William Friedkin's The Exorcist. Yes, we are. Everything you said is true. <laughs> all right, then. Yeah, so this was the first uh, horror movie that I ever saw at the tender age of 13. You should have seen many horror movies by that point. I didn't grow I'm gonna up I'm going to have a like you. talk with your parents. <laughs> <laughs> they were really slagging on your education. I think I had a very different education from you. <laughs> you didn't have free run of the Blockbuster card like I did. No, I was taken to Blockbuster with my parents like a normal child. <laughs> no, no, no. Normal children walk there by themselves, get a Slurpee, get the scariest movie they can, and then go watch it. And turn out well-adjusted. You are very well-adjusted. Yeah. You've seen this how many times? Probably only four or five, maybe. Okay, so I've seen it twice before this last watch. So I'm like kind of in the same ballpark as you, which is rare for a horror movie. (laughs) So then upon this most recent viewing, does it hold up? Is it as good as you thought it was? I think so. Is it as scary as you remember? Um, there were some moments that were pretty scary. Um, you know, and people who listen to this podcast know that I don't like jump scares. So I think there were a couple little moments where it was a little scary and I didn't enjoy that. But, um, I think that some of those things that like you're really scared of when you're young kind of didn't measure up to, you know, being older and having a little bit of like world experience. But I, uh, overall still really liked it. So what was less scary? Than you remember. Um, I think just the aging of some of the special effects. Like, I know it wasn't a new movie when I saw it, but it still felt very real at the time. Right. Um, but I think some of those special effects that have aged in 50 years since this was made. I was about to say, no, it's not 50 years. And then I thought about it. I was like, oh, yeah, it's just about. Yeah. So, yeah, so stuff like that was just... It, it showed its age a little bit, but um, overall, it's still it was still a very spooky movie. I feel like the head spinning all the way around and some of the puke that yeah. doesn't look as great. Yeah, the for head sure. spin now looks very clearly like a dummy head that's being turned around. It's very like yeah, animatronic and like it. It doesn't look like a real motion, but a lot of the things that she does doesn't don't look like real motions that a body would do. And I think that's kind of the point. Right. But that was one moment where I was like, yeah, that's super fake. Yeah. (laughs) But I don't think that took away from my experience. What about you, Indy? You've seen this a few times. While we were watching it, I became convinced that this is in the top five horror movies ever made. Oh, wow. Okay. I feel like if you pressure me and go, what about this? What about this? It might slowly start dropping, but while we were watching it i was so into it that i thought like well the shining is still number one this might be number two Mm. i'm not sure if i still feel that way now that i've had well i guess less than 24 hours to think (laughs) about it but it's good it holds up 
it's so well crafted and it makes me long for a time when horror movies were taken seriously Mm -hmm. that you could put the same effort into a horror movie and give it the same respect as you would a period piece or something like that which we don't really do anymore we think horror movies are their own fun little thing they just need a few jump scares they don't really need someone to plan everything through Mm -hmm. and they're kind of throwaways a lot of the time and I feel like a lot of things that might have been classified as horror in the past are now classified as like psychological thrillers because they tend to have that like idea that they have a little bit more behind them, right? Perhaps, but I feel like the psychological thriller is a dying genre. It's mm-hmm. I can't think of recent movies that fall into that. When I think of something like that, I think of Silence of the Lambs and it's been a long time since that came out. True. Because this is a very special episode of We Love This, You Should Too, I'm going to ask you the question, did you love this? Yeah, we love this, right? We, we both love this. We love this. Yeah, this is a classic, and I think that everyone should see it at least once in their life. Definitely. So, Indy, we were talking in the pre-episode last week about some creepy, spooky things that happened while this movie was filmed and being edited. Do you know of any of them? I do. I've heard tale of the curse of the exorcist. It's often referred to, but I think you're pretty interested in that. What have you found out? Um, That most of the set burnt down before they started filming. Except for... Reagan's bedroom. Yeah. Yep. So then after that, they rebuilt and brought in a Jesuit priest to bless the set. Wow. Yeah. That's a, that's a big step to ensure that you're not like pissing off demons. Ellen Burstyn, who plays the mom, she got a permanent spine injury. There were lots of injuries on set. Yes, but this leads to what the real curse of The Exorcist was, and that is the terrorizing director, William Friedkin. Oh, please tell us a little bit about that. So she got injured, and Mm -hmm. it was very clear of what happened, because there's that shot where Reagan slaps her and she goes flying. Yeah. The first take they did, Friedkin thought it wasn't good enough, so he went and talked to the guy who's pulling her. She was in a harness and just being pulled by a rope. Oh, okay. Uh, Friedkin went and talked to him and said, no, you have to pull way harder, pull as hard as you can. She's fine. We got it. We talked about it. It's cool. She had no idea it was coming, got pulled across the room and smashed into the wall, and that's the take that's in the movie. Right. And yeah, it was just negligence on behalf of the director that caused that one. So I, rem- I guess that's a curse. Uh, yeah. I remember seeing that in the movie, like when we rewatched it yesterday, and I thought that that looked very uncontrolled. It was. Very, like, real, which, like, sometimes when you see stuff like that in movies, it can be kind of attributed to just, like, good acting, good directing, good camera work. But that was, it seemed very... um real and very hard the way she hit the windows (laughs) yeah how about when reagan was flopping up and down on the bed when her feet are kind of still there but her torso was kind of going up and down that looked pretty painful as well yeah yeah she really hurt her back and has lifelong problems because of that wow Uh, same thing she was laced into this thing it wasn't properly done she came out and after they cut, she was sobbing and sobbing and everyone's like, wow, this kid's a really good actor. But no, she was just injured terribly. And they used it in the movie, too. That's craziness. There were nine deaths 
during filming and after during um like post production before the release of the film house production yeah post production post production um two of the actors and um a whole bunch of people behind the scenes all died within um the time that it took to release the movie right i think it was three actors or three people who appear on camera and then it was a lot of family members of people who were in it like max von sydow's brother died linda blair had someone die so it's a lot of family members that died that's super creepy it's also kind of like the odds yeah you get 200 people working on something there's gonna be some deaths eight people that you know might die yeah Another thing that happened was when it screened in Rome, uh, there was a huge thunderstorm and winds and torrential rain and um, lightning struck the cross of one of the churches. It was right in between two churches and it fell off into the street. That's pretty sweet. That sounds awesome. It's like God was angry that they were screening it. Right. And they just leaned right into all Mm. of this sort of publicity. It's good that we talked about Psycho a while ago, because that was kind of the forefather of this movie in a lot of ways. First is in the marketing of it, because there was all the talk about, oh, you won't be allowed in late to Psycho. It's so disturbing that people are fainting all the time. And a lot of the same stuff was going on with The Exorcist. And I think the stories were manufactured at the beginning. But Mm -hmm. then because people all bought into this, and it is a disturbing movie as well. People were fainting in the aisles, throwing up, passing out, all sorts of stuff like that was going on. And that led to the infamy of this movie. And then you'd have political figures coming out and saying that this is terrible. You had a Billy Graham who's a con artist? What do you call him? Evangelical preacher? Yeah, both. Yeah. (laughs) Same, same. He came out and said that the, the demon lives in the celluloid and... He didn't mean it metaphorically. He meant literally this is made by the devil. Oh. And a lot of, because I always forget that lots of people believe the devil to be a literal thing. Right. Not just the spirit of evil that's in the world, but like there's an actual figure out there True. doing all the bad things. Yes. It's like the idea of like the undertaker um, who comes and gets you as you're dying and like all sorts of things like that. Wait, what? Undertakers are real. That's the thing. <laughs> okay, maybe it's the wrong name. Um, Grim Reaper. That's oh, okay, the... yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't they dress the same? No, an undertaker is usually wearing a suit. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I was thinking of the Grim Reaper. Right, right. Who comes and like takes your soul? No, do you believe the Grim Reaper is a literal? No. Okay. No, <laughs> I no. To check in I'm on saying that. there are like people who believe so like s- like seriously that there are like there's a physical being that comes to get you when you die. Oh, that'd be pretty cool. I think we talked about this recently. <laughs> we probably. How did. I would be really happy if I saw the Grim Reaper because then it would just open up a world of possibilities. True. Because then you're like, oh, afterlife's real. That's cool. <laughs> I can hear you. Like, in my head, imagining you, like, dying and being like, oh. Grim Reaper is sweet. Cool. (laughs) So metal. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's what you'd be saying. (laughs) I can just, like, hear it in my head. (laughs) How excited you'd be. Yeah, I hope when I die I get to meet the Grim Reaper. That'd be be pretty sweet. Or the Undertaker. (laughs) The Undertaker. (laughs) I think you do get to meet the Undertaker. I, I don't think you do. 
You don't know it, but you meet him. True. Okay, you're not conscious. (laughs) (laughs) But if we go back to what we were saying, it was just a phenomenon, Mm -hmm. this movie. And it seems so far from anything we get today. Because there's nothing, there's no movie that kind of just takes over everything like this. I think the closest thing we have in our lifetime was that two weeks when everyone was watching Tiger King. Remember that? Yeah. And it was big, but it didn't like change the way people think like The Exorcist did. I think maybe when Blair Witch came out, that was pretty big. I think that was probably the biggest one of my life. Oh, that's the one with like the handheld camera. Yeah like the found footage one yeah yeah i haven't seen that but i do remember when that came out and how big it was the other thing i was thinking was paranormal experience paranormal activity activity Mm -hmm. (laughs) but i don't think that was a real cultural touchstone because it definitely wasn't as successful financially so probably not as many people saw it and it didn't it didn't change the way people went about things there weren't news reports every day on paranormal activity true and how now people are reporting hauntings more often Mm -hmm. while that happened after the exorcist there was a rise in people believing that they were possessed actually in since 2010 there's been a huge rise in exorcisms since 2010 yeah for some reason i uh I'm up to date on my exorcism stats. Why? Well, there's a huge rise in fundamentalist religions of all sorts. Right. So the go-to is always that you're possessed by a demon if you're doing bad things. Right. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Something like that. Yeah, just when we talk about Psycho and this, it would just be very fun to be a part of a a huge movie like that, which I don't think can exist the same way in a post-internet world. Yeah, that's true because you kind of, we see spoilers for things all the time. There's leaked footage, there's paparazzi photos. Like we're constantly consuming content on things that are up and coming. And movies, I think, are less serious now. And the movies that are serious aren't as successful. Like, of course, you'll have your big prestige pictures that win Oscars and are very serious, but mm-hmm. I don't think they have the same cultural impact as movies did in the 70s. True. I think that part of the way that you have to market movies now is to give out those sneak peeks and like photos of the casting costume and stuff like that and right. put it out on social media. I guess that's that must be a big part of it because we know all of these people. You see, I don't know, The Rock singing to his daughter. Yeah. It's not some unknown like the guy playing Father Karras, although I'm sure he's known to some people. He was He's this character. He's not... He's not the rock, right? He's mm-hmm. not a personality. People yeah. were their characters a lot more because we didn't get those behind the scenes things. And also, I think there were fewer options. There's fewer movies being made, fewer things to watch on television, True. fewer other entertainment sources. And fewer ways for that stuff to get out. Right. Like pictures. and Like you have to go to the movie theater to see this movie. Yes, exactly. Whereas now that is a huge part of just marketing things is... Those those little glimpses into what's coming to build anticipation. Yeah, I wonder if we'll ever get a real cultural phenomenon movie again. Hmm. I think Phantom Menace was the last thing. That was ninety nine, and it wasn't even a, like a good yeah. thing, but it was something that we were all a part of together. True, like just that mass disappointment around the world. Oh, <laughs> you're never gonna forgive him, are you? Well, he, he, Lucas doesn't deserve forgiveness. <laughs> he's not a, he's not the mastermind that no. many of us think we, he is. But that's that's beyond the point. I just miss 
something that everyone was in together. Now we have COVID. That's our exorcist. That's the next cultural phenomenon. Yeah, really. It is true, actually. COVID unites all of us. And tears us apart. And tears us apart at the same time. Yeah. We've talked about the exorcist very little, really. It's thus true. Far. It's true. Well, let's actually talk about the exorcist character. Who mm-hmm. is the exorcist? Is it Max von Sydow's character? Uh, Marin? The old priest? I think so. It makes sense that that's who, who it's titled after. I think that's who they're referring to. But it's odd that this movie is titled The Exorcist. Because he's such a small part of this movie, really. Yeah, that's one thing that I didn't really understand the connection of was him in Iraq. Is that where he? Mm-hmm. Um, and then him coming and performing the exorcism. I didn't understand how those two things like met. At the beginning, we have him working as pretty much an archaeologist. Yeah. And he discovers this little head of Pazuzu. Mm-hmm. Which I don't think they ever actually say in the movie. Do they say Pazuzu? I don't think so. But on line, there's someone credited as Pazuzu. Okay. I, I read the novel last Halloween. So they say it a lot in there. So right. I, it's familiar to me. And I'm very into ancient Mesopotamia. I actually took a class on ancient Mesopotamian agricultural techniques once. Did you learn a lot? I did. Is that why you're such an epic farmer now? <laughs> Only in the Fertile Crescent. <laughs> and I also like was very interested in their gods, like Marduk, the golden god of Babylon, who mm-hmm. I said I was going to be for Halloween this year. Before Halloween was canceled. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd heard of Pazuzu before. I think there's a line in this movie, actually, about evil against evil. And one of the things that why people would carve and carry a little Pazuzu medallion is that if you have this evil presence with you, it would scare off the other evils. Oh, that makes sense. Does it? I I think in a very primitive way. That's like, I'll just walk around getting bit by this snake so no dogs bite me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, you're making it a little bit more like (laughs) crazy. Although like if I'm ever about to get robbed... You should punch me in the face. Why? And then the robber would be like, oh, shit, something's already going He's down. Already I'm going to leave robbed. this alone. Noted. I get <laughs> um, but anyways, at the beginning, you have that happening. And then you see the big statue of Pazuzu. And the way I love that shot, the way it's angled. So they're almost the same size. and they Where have... he's like standing on the top of the rock, basically. Yes. Yeah. So there you have this uh, showdown. Yeah. Uh, and it foreshadows the ending, too, because what is the ending besides a showdown between Marin and Pazuzu of good versus evil, right? So right. it's kind of showing that early on to set up what's going to happen later. Mm-hmm. And I think we're definitely led to believe that the entity that's inhabiting Reagan is Pazuzu. I thought it was Mr. Howdy. Oh, Captain Howdy. Well, th- that's how... <laughs> He would present himself to a child, maybe, because oh, to yeah. like get access. Right. That's my thinking, at least. It's not explicit in it, but that's kind of what I took away from it. That makes sense. Something easier to digest and like friendlier sounding. Yeah. Yeah, that Captain makes sense. Howdy. Captain Howdy. Sounds like a bad cartoon or like puppet show from the sixties. Yeah, it does. Captain Howdy and all of his friends. There were some friends in there too. <laughs> yeah, like Pazuzu, Moloch, Marduk. 
that guy's mom. Oh, Karis's mom. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She was in there, too. <laughs> it's really interesting to, like, imagine a time before the internet and before a lot of things had kind of been debunked that this is such a, like, there's so many people in this movie that are so serious about the fact that, like, she's possessed by a demon. Like, that's what's happening. And how many times they have to, like, go to the priests and try and get this exorcism. It's, like, it's crazy to think of a time when we couldn't just, like, Google things on the internet. Do you think if Reagan had Googled, she would have, like, figured it out quicker? Um, I think her mother would have. Would have figured out what? That she's possessed? That it's not, like, a medical issue. I, I don't know about that because I think if some if that was happening right now, I don't know if someone would just go on Google and then say like, oh, yeah, that's it's probably Pazuzu. <laughs> I think they would think it's psychological just as the case was with Reagan. I disagree still. I think that the doctors would also have a little bit more like worldly knowledge than they did. So you think by having more knowledge, they'd be quicker to go to possession or slower to go to possession? I think they'd be less likely to diagnose her with nerves. Well, yeah, they wouldn't just say, ah, it's your nerves. But no, they would say something very different, but meaning essentially the same thing of there's something wrong, we don't know. Yeah, I think they would have gotten there quicker, though, instead of having to, like, stab her in the neck with a needle. So you're saying medical practices have evolved? Yes. Okay, I'll agree with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just think that everyone's got a wider knowledge base than they did back then well of course yeah people have more knowledge now that's that's an undisputable fact but i don't think that that changes things much because like as i said exorcisms are on the rise Mm -hmm. i think if that's what you believe that's what you believe i think it's gotten to the point and i don't want to get too far into the state of the world right now (laughs) but we've gotten to the point where truth doesn't matter to a lot of people facts don't matter to a lot of people and you can show them, like, look, this does this. And you could prove it in front of them. And they'll still go, no, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. And you're like, but I just showed you that if I pour the water, it goes down. Gravity exists. People will still deny it if that's how they are. And uh, there's definitely a resurgence of that kind of thinking. Which is scary. Yeah, which is why exorcisms are on the rise. Okay, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about religion in this movie. Because it is an explicitly religious movie. It's about Catholic practices. They use the terminologies. There's actual priests in this movie. Mm -hmm. There were some consulting. There's some playing essentially themselves in it. Priests are definitely the heroes of this movie. And at the end, we are left with the idea that only people of God could defeat evil. Mm -hmm. Yet somehow this doesn't seem like the most religious movie to me. Yeah, it definitely, I've seen movies where they hit you over the head with the religion like way harder. And you're yeah, like, and I get it. This is propaganda. And some of those aren't explicitly religious. Yeah. They don't actually say the things like this does. But this is so much more complex. Mm. Although it does seem like, yeah, if you find your way back to God, you will prevail is kind of what it comes out to at the end. But it never seemed that simple during watching it. Yeah, It's funny because, like you said, there's so much religion in this movie between the idea of the devil and possession and everything that this movie should feel a lot more clunky and, like, heavy on the religious side. Mm -hmm. 
But I don't, I don't know how they managed to make it seem less religious. Well, I think maybe just the fact that it's a horror movie and religion and horror movies deal with a lot of the same subject matter. I mean, they're all dealing with death, the supernatural, the existence of an afterlife, and evil, mm-hmm. right? So maybe all horror movies deal with the same matters as religious teachings would Mm -hmm. but not as many say it as explicitly but if you think of any ghost movie it's dealing with things that normally are reserved for religion true because any type of supernatural movie is kind of against science right Mm -hmm. if you have ghosts you're bordering on the religious world more so than the scientific world very true yeah because it's not a scientifically proved phenomenon not yet not until i get my ghost camera you ordered a ghost camera? <laughs> I'm going to make a ghost camera. Oh, I didn't realize that was something. Well, I'm going to get a camera, then I'm going to kill it. It becomes a ghost camera. Oh, but in your mind, it can't take pictures anymore when, no. it's, when it's a ghost and it's no longer a camera. This is just what I think about before we go to bed. <laughs> oh, I, I think about ghost vampires as well. Okay, good. But differently. Okay. Because okay. vampire ghosts and ghost vampires are, by all outward shows, the exact same. Agree to disagree. <laughs> no, they're the same. <laughs> they just came about it differently, but they're still... What about like a pirate ghost? If there's a pirate, he dies. He's a ghost. He's a pirate ghost. But then what if there's a, like a bunch of ghosts, they die, and they're like, oh, what do we do? Well, we have this boat. Maybe we can be pirates, and let's be ghost pirates. They're doing the same thing. They're living the pirate life and the ghost life. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see when we become pirate ghosts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I need to do more research on the topic, I think. Oh, pirate ghosts. Yeah. Okay. Or ghost vampires. Yeah. Do some research and get back to me on that, okay? Will do. You talked earlier about some things that didn't age well and weren't as scary. What is scary about this movie? There's such good, like, moment building in this movie where you see so many, like, really creepy things and it's such a slow build to like a very chaotic kind of like crescendo that it's like all of a sudden you're just like super swept up in the movie and this is something that is definitely of its time and that we don't do anymore it seems like now we get jump scare jump scare jump scare Mm -hmm. climax happy resolution yes well at this time And it's the same with The Shining that we talked about last year. It's a slow build. It's always ramping up. And then it just ends. It doesn't give you a happy resolution often. This one kind of does. But it's at a cost for sure. Yes. But these movies are so good at just a constant ratcheting up of tension. Mm -hmm. Rather than giving you a bunch of releases like you would from... A jump scare, but no, it's okay. It was just the dog, which happens in a lot of movies. These ones are just like a constant build. It's just like turning that screw tighter and tighter until until you can't take it. And then it's just all out madness for mm-hmm. a while. And then you're left to think, what did I just see? And by then the movie's already over. Yeah. I, one thing I liked about the slowness was that you could really imagine, like you had moments to kind of think about how you would deal in that situation 
Like maybe that was just me. But I definitely, um, in all the scenes when people are kind of coming and going from the house, when Reagan is like up in her bedroom and she's not like in a scene, you have like, I had a moment to kind of be like, I have no idea how I'd react to this. That's like madness happening in your house and I don't know how her mother stayed and that housekeeper and any of like the staff in the house like it's just like crazy town in there and they're all still there yeah I think what you just said really exemplifies the strength of this movie Mm -hmm. it seems to be much more experiential rather than cinematic Mm -hmm. like you go and watch Star Wars or Saving Private Ryan and they're amazing works of art on the screen but i don't often feel like oh yeah i could see myself in the lightsaber battle right you're you're sitting back and you're apart from it Mm -hmm. and it's not better or worse it's just a definitely a different style of filmmaking you sit back and you watch all these amazing things and you get caught up in the emotions for sure but this movie it really invites you to feel what these characters are feeling And I think a lot of it is that cinema verite that I always talk about, how Mm -hmm. I love 70s movies because they're so documentary style Mm -hmm. and they're experiential rather than cinematic. And I love movies that look beautiful and all that kind of stuff. But there's something to be said about a movie like this that dares you to feel what everyone's feeling. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's Reagan, sometimes it's the mom. Sometimes it's Father Karras, perhaps. But I think there is someone for everyone to relate to. Yeah. And to experience this movie through. Right. While in a lot of other ones, you get one character who is kind of the audience's way in, who isn't touched so much by the events of the movie. Mm -hmm. This does the exact opposite, because everyone who's in it is touched directly, outside Mm -hmm. of um, some of those peripheral characters. But we never relate to the Karis's friend or anything like that. Right. He's he's not our way in, even though he's the most like us because he's not part of all of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think depending on who you are, you're going to relate to one of those three main characters. And probably when we were younger and watched it, we think about being Reagan. Mm-hmm. And so many parents watch this movie and are torn apart because they feel the fear of having an ill child and not knowing what to do. And I think that's very relatable. Uh, Karis was the most relatable one for me. It's interesting that we both talk about this being a slow build, but when I watched it last night, it's so much faster than I thought it was. really? It gets to the crazy stuff way quicker than I expected. I just remember it being much slower, but... She's spider walking down those stairs, spewing out blood pretty early on. She is. Yeah. Her symptoms, symptoms, is that the right way to? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, her demon symptoms um, really start um, early in the movie, like with her not sleeping and with her being kind of, with her being agitated and angry at the doctor and everything. Like it's not immediately obvious that that's what's going on. Yeah, the first sequence of her at the doctor's office where she's kind of rolling around on the ground and swearing at the doctor, that came so much earlier than I thought. I thought there was going to be a whole nother section where it's just small little things, but it gets ramped up way faster than I 
had remembered, but maybe it's just because I'm used to a lot of slow movies. I wonder about an audience today if they would feel it's very slow or if they think that it it comes pretty quick. Like they're making movies for audiences today that are faster paced and for sure. come to a conclusion faster. And maybe that's just an intention span thing. And I wonder if in uh, 99 or whatever year it was when this got the re-release with those scenes added back in, one of the reasons scenes like the the spider walk down the stairs mm-hmm. were taken out is Friedkin said that it was too early on in the movie and it started, it moved everything forward too quickly. But now we're like, oh yeah, that seems about right there. Mm-hmm. For sure. And uh, maybe that just speaks to us as like newer movie viewers. <laughs> yeah. What did you think about those? You can't call it a subliminal message because a subliminal message, you don't know you got it. Right. But this has some single frames of scary things put throughout the movie. Did you notice some of those? Um, I remembered the one in the kitchen where it's kind of also in frame. Yeah. So there's, uh, I think, a fan hood on mm. a stovetop and... In the reflection on the fan hood is the Pazuzu face. Yes. So I I remembered that one because it was so like that whole scene of her kind of creeping through the kitchen because she's like so uncomfortable in her own house now. And then you see this thing behind her. And I remember that kind of scene. And maybe it's because it was so scary when I first saw it. But um, you kind of mentioned it to me while we were first watching the movie. And I didn't see any of them until you actually like pointed them out. So you kind of had to look for it. In the past, you hadn't seen those? No, just that one in the kitchen. I remember watching it on a VHS tape when I was a teenager alone in a dark room and seeing the faces that are full screen just pop up for a single frame and going, what the fuck was that? (laughs) That would be so scary. It is. And I felt it this time too. I would see them in times when I wasn't expecting it because I don't remember when all of those were. Mm, Yeah, no, neither do I. There's quite a few of them in Mm -hmm. there. Yeah, and once you pointed it out, I started to notice them and they were definitely creepy and they were put in at really good points. Again, I'm not going to be able to name exactly what points other than mm-hmm. that one in the kitchen. Um, but I feel like they were put in at points where the viewer almost starts to feel comfortable. Right. Or sometimes it'd be the opposite. It'd be showing someone who is going through something terrible, usually Reagan. Mm-hmm. And then her face would have this cut right after it. So it'd almost be like it's superimposed, but it wouldn't mm-hmm. be at the same time. It would just be a quick flash of it. Right. Almost like a mask. Like. Yeah. And then later on in the movie, you get that face superimposed over Karis when Karis gets taken mm-hmm. over. So you get to see it kind of come to a culmination with that. Yeah, it was uh, it was really cool use of something that I hadn't really seen before. You don't see that in movies too often. Mm-mm. Did you notice anything remarkable about the sound of this movie? Music or effects, anything like that? I felt like, I don't know, it's probably nothing, but I felt like it got louder during the more intense scenes. Definitely. Um, and I feel like her room was always extremely quiet. It was like almost like a tomb. Mm-hmm. Like it was like out in the house, you'd hear things, you'd hear people, you'd like, because there were staff in the house, right? So it was like you could hear people moving around and stuff and just like like a normal house would sound. And then as soon as you went into Reagan's bedroom, it was like silence unless she was making noise or the window was open. Right. Yeah. 
And there were some times when you're at different parts of the house and all you could hear are her kind of low groans Growing. or sometimes when yeah. it was the, the screaming which was terrifying yeah, as well. it was terrifying yeah those those sound effects and was like whoever did the demon sounds and everything it's just like incredible because it was so exactly like what you think a demon sounds like it was a woman and she smoked and drank constantly to get that oh effect. so it was like super so raspy. it was very hard on her oh i bet <laughs> I bet, but it worked so well. She was even strapped to a bed to do it, to go, like get into character so or mimic it better. Like she was struggling. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that's fair. Um, I definitely felt that from the sounds that Reagan made while she, the demon was kind of in control. There's some other really interesting use of sound in this. And that's one of the Oscars this did win was for sound design i believe but early on in the movie when scary things are happening in iraq there's the sound of bees oh yeah just subtles because that makes everyone feel that buzzing yeah you feel on edge and it's just something ingrained into people Mm -hmm. through evolution that certain sounds make you more alert and cautious and Mm -hmm. that's one of those and they took advantage of that things like that were great then you have those dogs that he's looking at and those growls. Oh, and like the dog fight. Yeah. Yeah. All of that kind of sound is a bit of a foreshadowing of of what we're going to be hearing mm-hmm. from Reagan because she's very animalistic as well. And then you have the sounds of like the MRI machine and all of the hospital noises. And those are so jarring and scary as well. Yeah, those are definitely sounds that hospital machines back then would have made i mean they've made um like medical machines quieter now but it's definitely something that's like x-ray machines were so loud and mris were so loud because of all of the the magnets and the photography equipment that are involved and it just like it just would have been so scary as a child to have to be in there and then also you have this like other thing in you and those scenes were were frightening like all that blood shooting out the noises i remember in the novel that was one of the scariest scenes was the hospital stuff (laughs) i don't remember much about the second half of the novel but i remember the medical stuff being especially frightening in the novel interesting yeah and i liked what you were saying about the silence in her room because they use silence to great effect in this Mm -hmm. movie there's one scene, I can't remember where it was. I think it was Marin talking early in the movie, but there was a, a clock in the background. I think like a clock, a grandfather clock with a metronome. What's that called? Pendulum. Pendulum? Either way, it was um, like ticking away. Right. And then it stopped. Yes. It stopped in the middle of the scene. And it takes a while to realize, like, wait, something's wrong. What's wrong? It wasn't until this rewatching that I realized why that scene makes me uncomfortable. It's because the clock stops in the middle of it. Yes. And that's an odd thing to see. But it's just a little, a nice little touch like that to to show you the power of, of silence. That silence was, like, it really made you think about how, like, people say, like, silence is deafening. Right. That was absolutely one of those moments that just, like, you're just struggling to hear anything during those scenes until she starts to move and, like, the demon kind of 
clicks into to life. It's like you walk into that room, the door closes, you see the also the frost, like the um you can see their breath when they walk into her bedroom. Right. That was another thing that just like totally made it seem like this is another world. Yeah, and no CG. It's not fake breath. It was just it was real. So they just kept it very, very cold. And there must be like a very small little light that all of the characters have that was illuminating it from underneath to really to really highlight that breath. Yeah, because everything looked so frosty. Yeah. Along with things getting crazier much earlier than I remembered, it's also much brighter than I remember. Oh, really? Until you later in the movie when you get both of the priests. Of course, like the big climax is is very dark and shadowy. But up until that point, even on times when she's doing like the spider walk down the stairs, mm-hmm. it's bright daylight. It is. And it's odd to see something like that in the daylight. It's not nighttime in this movie until probably 75% of the way through. That's, which is strange. That's definitely something that isn't done in current scary movies no i've you know like i'll occasionally watch a movie on my phone and even turning up the brightness all the way you have to be in like a dark dark room for a lot of the things to kind of visually come through right because they film things so dark to make them scary yeah, because this... it's easier to hide stuff, yes. right? Yes, and it's easier to make all the effects pop out. Yes. Um, whereas with this movie, you like they didn't do that, and it's still just as scary. Yeah, I think if you're relying on something to come out of the darkness to scare you, you need the darkness. But if you're relying on two hours of sustained tension building, you don't really need it so mm-hmm. much. And I think that with how bright it is, it kind of drives home the fact that this is just like a normal family right in a normal house this isn't they didn't move into a haunted house they didn't inherit you know a haunted cabin on the lake where it's always dark like it's it's not that kind of like haunted setting it's a normal family who goes through something extraordinary there's that one shot that i really love it's when the doctors come to the house And one of the caretakers is down there saying, like, we had to call you. We don't know what to do. She's upstairs. And it's one long shot. We follow the doctors come up the stairs and then we go into the room with them. Mm -hmm. And that's the time Reagan is being, like, thrown about Mm -hmm. and just, like, thrashing on the bed. And it's all in one shot. And it's all, like, four in the afternoon. Yeah. But it was terrifying and just like a a really effective scene as well it was yeah their use of daylight just made everything so much scarier because you do think of scary things happening in the dark or you know things that are in the night that are scary but you don't think of 4 p.m as an especially scary time of the day there's another scene that's not too far after this another one that's in daylight that i was kind of taken out of the movie not in a bad way but i was watching this and I just looked at how things were set up and I was like, that's what horror is. That there's scary movies, all sorts of things can jump out at you and they're scary. But to make something truly horrific, it takes a lot of craftsmanship. Mm-hmm. And I, this was such a good example. So it's when Kinderman, the investigator, is talking to Chris, the mom, and mm-hmm. saying like, oh, we think this, oh, you know, and he's like a really jovial, nice guy. Yeah. He gets her autograph right before leaving. Mm-hmm. And then he leaves and Ellen Bernstein just crumbles 
because she knows in that moment her daughter killed someone. Mm-hmm. And all of the thoughts go through her head and on her face so quickly that what do I do now? Is this even my daughter? And she's just at a loss. Mm-hmm. And then that is cut into this superhuman, vulnerable moment gets cut short and we don't get to stay with it, but with shrieks from upstairs. So then she runs up, the camera is shaky and following along with her. And that's when we get maybe the most shocking part of the whole movie. And it's the uh, like stabbing herself in the vagina with a crucifix. That was so hard to watch. So that juxtaposition of such a human compassionate moment Mm -hmm. to the most shocking thing you could think of. That's what horror is. Definitely true. It was. I like that kind of. It was such a brilliant scene. And I think this movie's known for for the shocks, right? Mm -hmm. The puke, the crucifix, all of that kind of stuff is what it's most famous for. Right. And that's rightfully so. That's a big part of it. But it diminishes it to say that it's just that. Those things are always put in contrast to a really relatable human story whether it's the guilt with Karis the frustration and terror in the mom of not Mm -hmm. knowing what to do for her daughter there's a lot of human emotion that then is punctuated by the shock right it's not like I know I always rag on like Hostel and Saw although Saw 1 is fine but all those (laughs) other those types of things were I I have seen Saw 1 yeah it's it's a good movie yeah But the other one's not so much. But it's an easy target because I feel, and I'm sure people disagree, I feel that those are shock without the human emotion. Mm, Yeah. And I don't like it when Exorcist gets lumped into that kind of thing because Mm -hmm. there is a lot of great character work in The Exorcist. And a lot of real reactions. Yes. And by real... A lot of the time, actual real. They're actually real. Yeah, I did read about that. And like, I don't know how I feel about that and supporting the filming of this, like the way this was filmed. Now you kind of know what I was saying about how I'm always against any sort of employer taking advantage of their employees. Mm-hmm. And then when it's on a film set, I was like, oh, shit, but they did a really good job. And then I, <laughs> it makes me feel bad. But yeah. like Kubrick and Friedkin, they're terrible. Yeah. They're terrible. Pe- uh, Hitchcock, too. Yeah. They I were, was going to say, it wasn't Hitchcock bad too? Yeah. But yeah. Terrible to their actors, especially the, the women. Mm-hmm. And that makes it extra weird. Yeah. Although Friedkin, he was equal opportunity. Was he? Yeah. Because he, one of the pre- people he was worst to was Father Dwyer because he wasn't an actor, that guy. He's just a priest. He's, right. He was an actual father. And so in the scene, like at the end before he has to give Karis the last rites. Right. Uh, he just slapped the fuck out of him. Out of the father? Yeah. <laughs> he just slapped him. And then the guy was like, but what? And he's like, just go, just go, say your lines. He just slapped him and made him sit. So he's like shaking because he just got slapped by a grown man. That's crazy. <laughs> that is crazy. That's craziness. And he would shoot off guns all the time to keep people off on edge. But he would tell Linda Blair, Reagan, because she can't be scared. No, because she, she's, she's got like a job to do. So it would kind of be like a little joke between them. But right. also he's like, a, he's a bad guy. That's not cool. But like, you know, the results. 
but I can't be in the camp of, ah, well, if the results are good, because I'm against it in all other forms, but for whatever reason, when it's in a movie, I'm like, no, that's pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely feel um, like I love this movie, and I love the way that it comes together without knowing anything about how it was made, but then as soon as you enter in the, like, terror of the cast like in real life because they were scared of the director and the physical abuse that was happening i think that um i I have a harder time supporting it yes but it's still a really good movie i do draw the line on the actually injuring people i think shooting off a gun eh, that's not the worst but yeah he was like breaking people's backs which is very true okay (laughs) (laughs) i think we've talked about this before but like coaching it's very similar like you know who to give a pep talk to and who to like give those hard words to oh sure to get results right like i know which of my kids need like like you need to go and do your job and then other kids need like you're gonna do great like you've done this in practice a hundred times you know exactly what you're doing and those like get the results because they need to go out on like in their mindset and everybody has a different mindset for those things. So I think that's something that I can, like, understand to a point. But also I think that, like, abusing people is bad. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Who did you find yourself relating to the most? I don't know. I think I want to say the mom. But I also feel like not being a mother, I think that I would relate most to like their housekeeper nanny lady. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Because you're just like trying to support everybody. You're worried about this child who I'm sure you love because she's been with them for, you know, a long time and everything. And it's very, it's a hard position to be in because you're not the child's mother. You're trying to support the mother who's also hysterical and you like truly care about that family. I know a lot of people, once they become parents, they watch this movie in a very different way, and it's still terrifying, but in a in a new light. Yeah, oh, I bet. I found myself relating to Father Karras the oh, most. Oh, really? Because there's um, a lot of guilt in his character, and the thing Catholic. he... Pardon? I said it's Catholics. Yes. <laughs> well, the thing he goes through is maybe, to me, the most terrifying thing that could ever happen Mm -hmm. and that's having your parent being very ill and you not being able to help them Mm -hmm. and having them die and think that you didn't care yeah i can't think of a single worse thing in the world and so that is always the part of this movie that gets me more than more than anything Mm -hmm. is his relationship with his mom even at the beginning when he just goes over there to eat dinner and She's like, she's destitute and she's old and it, it bothers me right now just talking about it. There's there's nothing more disturbing to me in this movie than the disappointment of the mom. Oh no. Yeah. That, that gets to me more than anything. And uh, the demon knows that too and like preys on that. Yes. Right? Saying like, oh, you left me to die. But mm-hmm. chances are this mom loved him. To the moment she passed away. Oh, exactly. And was so happy when she came, when he came over. And... Right. But that whole, all of that stuff, even before she dies, was just heartbreaking to me and, and very tough to watch. And uh, if you agree with me out there, uh, maybe you should be careful wearing your mask around if you're going to go hang out with your mom. Wear your masks, people. Because, like, do you want to feel like Father Karras? 
that something you did led to your parents' demise. Oh, I couldn't think of anything worse. Um, I'd be out there partying every day without a mask if I didn't have parents. No, I still wouldn't. But I would be different. I think you're you're too, like, responsible a person. One thing about Father Karras that I found very relatable was um, his reaction to learning about the fact that, like, exorcism is real. Yeah, he's such a good character, not just the performance, which we can talk about, Mm -hmm. but having this man who is both a scientist and a man of religion. Because his first instinct was, no, she needs a psychiatrist. Yeah. She doesn't need an exorcist. She needs medicine. Yeah. And that gets people like me on board further into the movie. Like If we started off with a priest saying like, oh, I'm going to save her. I would, wouldn't be on board for the journey maybe as long. But when you have it take so long to convince even a priest that that's what's called for, mm-hmm. you've brought along everyone who all the non-believers are kind of on your side by yeah. that point. Um, I really enjoyed that because that's such a relatable thing, right? Like growing up with ideals and then kind of entering the adult world and moving away maybe from your family and you don't have like that same support system that you grew up with and then finding out all these things that aren't true i think that that would that's something that's like hard for a lot of people who move away from their like idea systems as adults and then he's realizing that this thing that's like i'm sure kind of just like oh you know exorcisms like amongst priests that it doesn't it's not real to them because there hasn't been one in you know forever and especially to him because he's kind of lost faith in god perhaps right he's asking for a reassignment he's asking to leave and he says he feels like a fraud he doesn't feel like a priest Mm -hmm. he doesn't feel like a catholic i think yeah he's the definition of tortured Mm -hmm. every line reading he gives you can just feel the weight of what he's gone through both this crisis of faith and also the guilt over his mother's death all of that's with him at every moment. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's such a brilliant performance. I forgot how good he was. He's great. I remembered Ellen Bernstein being very good, and mm-hmm. she is, but he was, he steals the show, I think. In my mind, he was the best performance of the movie, and I think he was nominated for Best Actor but did not win, I believe. Oh, that's sad. Because yeah. he was, like, gripping. And I was saying that he's tortured throughout there is this really great moment late in the film where it's during the exorcism with both of the priests there mm-hmm. and Father Karras is downstairs and Chris asks him, is she going to die? And he's sitting down and he looks defeated and he says with with confidence, mm-hmm. no. Yeah. And that's the point I feel like he takes this turmoil that he's had within him He's been feeling sorry for himself. And I don't want to say it's selfish because it's it's guilt, but it's personal. It's mm-hmm. about him. Yeah. And it's not selfish. It's just his inner turmoil. He takes all of this and says, like, this doesn't matter anymore. Whether or not I believe in God, whether or not my mother is dead, it's about her right now. Mm-hmm. And then he goes up there and he fucking kicks ass. I loved that little bit and it's it's small and it's something that I hadn't noticed in the past, but it's such a great 
not finale for that character because, mm-hmm. of course, we get the big finale. Right. He'd been tortured all this time. Then he finally rallies. He gets his act together, really. And he he saves the day. He does. And it's such a great ending because I'd almost forgotten that, that how that's how it ends. Oh, I forgot that that's how it ends. Because how do you end this movie? I think any other movie, you they do the power of Christ compels you. And then the demon's gone and the end. And then everyone hugs and cries in the end. Yeah. Yeah. So to have him take the demon on, he even gets the face transformation Mm -hmm. thing. And you see him battle it down and then realize, like, well, I have a capture now. And he jumps out the window. He sacrifices himself. And it's very crazy. And at the end, he, he of course, truly believes again because, Mm -hmm. yeah, he saw he saw the devil. Mm -hmm. So, of course, he must believe in uh, something in, in something. Yeah. And then he kind of ends very uh, Christ-like, right? Mm-hmm. He uh, he sacrifices himself, so he takes everything upon himself and dies. Yeah. Poor Father Karras. What a guy. <sighs> Father Karras. And there is that parallel that kind of runs through the whole movie, too, about him losing his faith and Chris losing her daughter and Regan losing herself, right? They're all kind of battling something like that. Yeah. Everybody's kind of lost something from their kind of emotions or their belief system. And I love the bit where he's getting his last rites, but he can't talk and he just squeezes his hand. Oh my God. The squeezing of the hand was like, oh, that was like the saddest part of the movie. It was. That was next to the mom dying. Because part of like being in church is almost like it's like the call and response with the priest. Oh, right, right. So that almost, that's almost what it felt like. Oh, yeah. With him, like, because, like, with, during Last Rites, like, they assume that you're not, yeah, like, with it, right? And so he wouldn't respond, but I think that Father Karras knows enough that, like, he would almost have his own things to add to Last Rites, especially because they're his own Last Rites. Right. But I think the like, hand squeezing was just him acknowledging that he's, like, taking it in and he's like, participating. Yeah. In that moment. So in so many of the movies we do, I always talk about like, oh, this whole thing is just an allegory for. Do you have any any thoughts like that about this movie? Because I can see a, a, a few present ones. Um, I don't know. Extreme religion. How so? I just think that it's it sometimes feels like this presence of religion in um like the everyday society because in an interview uh the mom says that she doesn't like really practice any faith and neither does her daughter and uh, i found it really interesting that the doctor asked like does your daughter practice any faith like and she's like no of course not like we don't we don't follow anything but then how ingrained in culture it is that she immediately snaps into needing a priest and she needs like a father there to kind of guide them and to save them and how, um, like, you can kind of, in this in this story, it's very extreme how much power religion has over just, like, society as a whole in this story. Because they automatically snap back into religion because that's the only thing that really makes sense in the moment. What about you? Do you see any things? I feel like you're going to teach us a lesson now. No, no. <laughs> well, I think there's, like, the the basic stuff we already talked about. It's a story about someone losing their faith and then regaining it mm-hmm. through self-sacrifice, which is a pretty Christian message. Yeah. 
Um, it's a story about a mother willing to do anything for her daughter. Mm-hmm. I know Stephen King wrote a bit about this movie, and he said it's all about the World War Two, the post World War Two generation, and how like people of the '60s seem like demons to their parents from the older <laughs> generation. Oh, and he's like completely in earnest, saying like this is that's the subtext of this movie. I can't believe everyone's not talking about it. It's just about generation gaps right i think the most accepted one probably is that it's about reagan's sexuality or becoming a woman Mm. i think there's a lot of uh, sexual stuff going on in it and there tends to be a lot of fear of female sexuality and Mm -hmm. a lot of in the world really yeah and then it's put into movies like this where of course to the mother and to everyone else it's the most frightening thing Mm -hmm. in the world right I see that one a little bit less, but I definitely think that there's a lot of ways that you could take this movie. And uh, I think it kind of just depends on your worldview and your situation. There's a lot of weird father stuff in this movie, too. Mm -hmm. They make a point of showing that Reagan's father is not there. And there's arguments about it. It's not that he's just not around. Yeah. It's that he seems like he's actively not participating in her life yeah so she's been rejected by that father figure and then the demon seems to reject all other father figures right like any men that come into contact with her right because there's the idea that that director guy somebody floats the idea that chris and him have some sort of relationship Right. right and then she it was reagan right and then he's the first one are you gonna marry mr right director guy because didn't she hear it from the Ouija board? Mm, I can't remember where. Maybe she... that's something from the book that I picked yeah, up. Yeah, I don't remember. Movie. I thought it was someone in their household or something. Okay. But either way, then she, the girl, sees him as a potential father, right? Mm-hmm. And then the demon, that's the first person that she kills. Yes. Throws him out the window or gets him to jump out the window. Not Unclear. Unclear. Then we have any of the doctors, like she grabs one of them by the balls. Mm-hmm. That's a little odd. Then you have the uh, Heavenly Father, where she desecrates all of the things and masturbates with the crucifix. Then you have the other priests like Karis and Marin come in and both of them are killed as well. Mm-hmm. Weird father stuff going on. Yeah. In the scene where she's overhearing her mom talk to her father, I feel like Reagan almost has guilt there too mm-hmm. she seems very upset about it but not upset like disappointed that my father's not there but maybe she feels guilty because there's a lot of uh the children have guilt in this movie right yeah it definitely feels like she feels like she did something wrong by hanging out with bazuzu all the time probably shouldn't talk to your ouija board kids <laughs> no that's good advice out there for everyone I simultaneously don't believe in all of this stuff and also would implore everyone to never use a Ouija board while alone. (laughs) Have a friend with you. Very true. Takes at least two people's hands on there. Yep. Or else they can get into you. Safeguard yourself by making your friend do it with you. Yeah. Wear a mask. Safe sex. Two people on a Ouija board. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) At least two. These are the rules. We should get t-shirts made up with that. Wear your mask. Save sex. Two people on the Ouija board. (laughs) I'm sure we could uh, boil that down to a better catchphrase. True. Yeah, that's pretty good. Well, I think we've been talking about The Exorcist for long enough. Mm -hmm. 
Do you have any final thoughts on this movie that we both love? <laughs> um, I think I saw it too young, contrary to what you think. Disagree, yeah. Um, but I think that uh, it's still a really enjoyable movie to watch. I was still scared. I This was probably the third time I, I've seen it in my lifetime. And I uh, I still think it holds up. And I think that everyone should see it. Okay, one other small question. I promise I won't ask any follow-ups to this question. Do you think it's better than The Shining? I think it's really different from The Shining. Do you think it's better than The Shining? No comment. You have to <laughs> pick a side. I have such a hard time picking a side on that. Um, I think it's better than The Shining. What? Yeah. Madness. <laughs> Get out of here. Um, I think that it has. Um, I think it has a better story. Like, more multifaceted, more, um, like, different ways that people could relate to it. I think it's a more, like, all-encompassing story. I will hold my response because I think I could talk about it for two hours. <laughs> of course, I disagree. I think The Shining is the greatest horror movie ever made. I know. But what I will <laughs> say to agree as much as I can is it's it's a warmer movie. The Shining mm-hmm. is definitely a more cold and calculated picture while this has its roots in humanity more so than The Shining does. And I think that's what you're picking up on, if Mm -hmm. I may suggest. And I think that's fair, but The Shining is so fucking good. (laughs) (laughs) I really, really like The Shining. You said you, I believe the word was love. I love The Shining. There you go. That's all I needed to hear. I think that between two movies that I love, I think that The Exorcist is just a little bit more relatable. I understand. I disagree. I know. That's fine. So, Indy, what is your final thought about The Exorcist? I think it's great. I think it's one of the best horror movies ever made. I think we think it's overrated, and then you go sit down and watch it, and you're like, oh, no, I kind of deserved it. (laughs) It's definitely those big, giant shocks, but I think we forget about all the great human moments that lead up to that Mm. and that's what the payoff is right so i don't think it's one of those manipulative movies i think everything is deserved and earned and i know that's crazy to say in a movie where someone's puking pea soup across the room to say like no that's a good story element but it really is it is it's a really well crafted put together movie and Friedkin, the director, says it's not a horror movie. And he says, oh, I never made it with the intention of scaring anyone. Yeah, he's, he's lying. Right. He's clearly lying. No. But I think what he's getting at is it's treated with the care and attention that horror movies usually aren't. Right. And I appreciate that. And that's why it's great. Okay. Well, everyone this spooky season needs to watch The Exorcist. And we will be back next week with Indy's Spooktober pick. And you'll have to wait until next week to find out. Yeah, so we'll be here again with a couple of spoiler-free spooky suggestions. Mm -hmm. And then I'll let you know what the big pick of the week is for the next time. Excellent. I'm excited to watch another scary movie. I'll give you a hint. We're going classic. Dracula. Maybe. Okay. Well, we'll have to see, and I'll have to see next week when we see you again in your podcast feed. Yep. That's a sentence that makes sense. I like it. (laughs) Have a good week, everybody. Bye, everyone.
to go to the bars with a handful of chocolate because you know what beer doesn't do it for me <laughs> i need some peanut butter cups true the bar plus peanut butter cups would make everything better it does i often i either have uh mandarin oranges or peanut butter cups in my pocket a lot of the time <laughs>